Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 25th. It's time to figure things out on the men's side of the equation. We know the eight women that'll compete in the WTA Tour Finals in Fort Worth next week. It also helps us that there's a bit of a pause this week on the WTA calendar. As such, here on this show, we're going to lock in on that race to the ATP Tour Finals. Now, we know five of the players who will be competing at that event. You look at the points race right now. Carlos Alcaraz, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Stefano Tsitsipas, Kasparu, they've all clinched their spots. But those race for the final three positions, they're fascinating. And I think the fact I will point to this week more than anything else, we have 25 of the top 30 players in the world competing on the ATP Tour this week. Now, it always helps to have two 500-level events, but 25 of the top 30, as I alluded to, it's October 25th. That argument that post-slam tennis doesn't matter, I think it's been laid to waste over the past two and a half years. And part of that is a byproduct of this pandemic era. We see plenty of players chasing points, jockeying for positions in the rankings, whether it be the players at the top, whether it be the players trying to solidify themselves top 50, top 100 moving forward. Perhaps this many players playing this late in the calendar is more emblematic of that generational shift we have constantly alluded to here at Crack Rackets. There are a lot of young guys trying to continue to climb the ranks and two 500 level events offers them perfect opportunities to do just that. With that said, it's an action-packed week on the ATP Tour. Again, two 500-level events last week of October. We've got the 500 event in Basel, 500-level event in Vienna. Plenty of fun tennis to discuss. And to help us preview it all on today's podcast is a recurring guest and returning champion, a co-host here of our Tennis Point Tuesday edition of the Mini Break Podcast. He's also a do-everything in his daily role over at Tennis Point. It's our near and dear friend, Nate Walrith, joining me to preview all the action. Nate Dog, welcome back to the show. It's great to see your smiling face. Was intro two better than intro one? How'd I do? Intro two was a spot on intro right there, man. <laughs> Electric energy you got. You bought you, you bought the juice this time. Now you got me flowing. I'm ready to rock today. It's a really fun week of action, and I do want to talk about the ATP side. That said, quickly, you look at the WTA field in Guadalajara. Pagula Goff representing the Americans, and I still need to look up the list of teenagers who have qualified for a WTA Tour Finals in their career. I am asking outsourcing to the listeners if you have that answer available to you. I'm sure Celis, Hingis, probably Serena Sharapova are on the list. Iga, I think, would have been on the list had they held the Tour Finals in 2020. But for Coco Goff to qualify speaks to how exceptional she is this early in her career. Obviously, the aforementioned Iga Sviantek, obviously, in the Tour Finals. You've got Jabir, Sabalenka, Sakari, Kasatkina, and whoever the last, and Caroline Garcia. Shout out to the brain. It still works. Your thoughts on that field? I Quickly, I, I went back and looked at my interview uh, with Coco Goff from three years ago when she was 15, and... I mean, she was 15 and we had a Zoom call interview and during the pandemic it started. And I just remember being struck by like how like the charisma and how like her vision was so clear. She was so articulate in what she wanted to do with her life. And it's just crazy for me to see her take all the necessary steps in her life on the court, off the court and how she's handled her business and just 
how everything's coming together, just like she said when she was 15 years old. I think that part to me has been just amazing to watch because um, when she said it, I believed it right away. It was like she has these goals. She's going to go take these goals down step by step. And literally to a T, everything she said is worked out how she planned. And it's like now she's top five in singles and in doubles. She's brought a spotlight to tennis that it has lacked probably since the Williams sisters were younger and had that just young energy on the court. And I, I don't know. It's been amazing to watch Coco take the scene uh, by, like, by the horns and, and run with it. And I think she's a perfect player and person to be the face of uh, the WTA tour for a long, a long time and a lot of years to come. And I think a lot of the same things you could say for Pagula, what Pagula has done this past year, just great for American tennis in general. And those two have just dominated on both courts, singles and doubles. They're even a duo, obviously the ATP tour or the WTA finals now, just a ton of fun to watch both ladies. And they're just competing week in and week out. And they're trying to win every match they play and just, they seem to be enjoying themselves. So very refreshing to see. And I think that's one of the reasons that I've been locked into the WTA action as much as I ever have this past year. I talked about it a little bit yesterday, but Coco Goff, 18 years old, one of eight players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. She's tied for the fourth most quarterfinals this year, nine overall on the season. You look at the numbers, she's not elite at anything this season. She's not top 10 in hold percentage. She's not top 10 in break percentage, but she's already good at everything. And I know the forehand can be picked on by elite pace. I think you can say that about every forehand to be honest, but she's 18 years old and this is the baseline of success moving forward. It's like, okay, this is the foundation that we're building on for the next decade. How can you not be excited about golf moving forward? Or again, like Iga is not 25 yet. You know, I, I brought this up in the con- t- context of Pagula yesterday. Excuse me, I'm going to get a sentence out eventually. And, you know, Pagula's having this career year. I believe she's 28 years old or 29 years old. Uh, you look for Pagula. She currently will say 28. You know, that's a decade from now for Coco Golf. That's seven years from now for Ish Fiontech. It's like, if that's when they're having their career seasons... Oh my God, what are those career seasons going to look like? Because it's going to be really fun to watch as a tennis player and to have that really fun blend of players like Goff. I'll even say Sviantec still on the rise and players like Jabur, Pagula, Sakari, clearly in Caroline Garcia, clearly in the center of their prime. That to me is why Sabalenka is the most player a most interesting player at the event because where does she fit in the ecosystem moving forward? I think if you were going to say, give me three wild cards who could upset the reign of Iga Sviantec, I would say a fully healthy Naomi Osaka, a fully healthy Bianca Andreescu, and a not double faulting Arena Sabalenka. Like those would be my three players who I'd be like, those are the three I'm most interesting in popping uh, in what they're doing over the next maybe even year specifically. And obviously we see Sabalenka playing in Guadalajara, but it's a really fun field. And uh, do you want to give me an early prediction who you got? That's tough. I mean, it's hard to bet against what, which Fontek and Jover has have done this year. It's hard to bet against either one of those players, um, but I'll go with it. So, yeah. While you stew, let me posit a theory by you, because as you know, I like to think I'm one of the great pontificators of our generation, and I proposed a theory on Twitter that was ill-received, dare I say, that – not ill-received, but it didn't receive as much support as I had hoped, and it's this idea that Jessica Pagula has had – not a significantly yeah, worse season than Own Jabur, but a clearly worse season than Jabur. And, you know, I understand the last two slam finals have featured Jabur, that she won the Madrid title, that she has perhaps competed in more significant finals and more finals in general than Pagula this season. But here's the crux of my argument. If mm-hmm. the foundation you're starting with of why you're pro Jabur is that she lost in two slam finals, my counter would be, Pagula lost in three quarterfinals, and in all three of those quarterfinals, the yep. players she lost to went on to win the title. Yep. And so, like, now that she has this Guadalajara title as well, you look in the points race between the two. The margins are actually very thin uh, between each of them. As of right now, Pagula, 239-point uh, deficit in the live rankings. You look in the points race, it's a 239-point deficit overall. 
Like, that's nothing. That's a Charleston event. Like, no. or, uh, you know, uh, a, a good run at a Parma. Or if she plays the Tunisia event instead of Jabir and maybe she wins it or makes the finals, like, now that gap is narrowed. I just, you know, you look for Pagula, I think it's eight quarterfinals at 1,000 level events or higher this year. I think it's been as good. No, I, I think I saw you actually go on that uh, Twitter spout, and I, I didn't I actually look at the results. I, I came around and kind of saw your perspective on this. I I compare Pagula a little bit to, like, for me, Hercotch, like, has all the, like, the X factors in their game to, like, make you uncomfortable. But, like, they each kind of lack that one defining weapon that, like, punishes everybody. And obviously, Hercotch has a nasty serve. Pagula has great variety, but, like, Maybe you need two. Is it? Do you need two weapons to, that, that can back each other up to really, like, for me? Because like, Andre de Burgess has. I feel like there's more weapons in her game. Uh, sneaky power, sneaky good mover, ex- exceptional feel, exceptional. Like she, she can beat you with in a variety of ways. And I just feel like players like Pagula and Hercosh, It's like they. It's hard for them to just continue to move through those the slam events or the bigger events when all the big names are in it because they have to consistently punish a player and. Can can Pagula, can Pagula do that for for the WTA finals throughout the event? Yeah, I, I think the wrinkle we've seen over the past two months, three months, and we've seen her work it in throughout the course of the year, she's just gotten more confident moving forward. She's mm-hmm. very persistent in first strike as an approach shot, move in behind that ball. It's going to be really fun. I don't think, other than Iga, anyone is playing definitively better than the rest of the field. Yes, there are some people who are, you know, Caroline Garcia has dropped off a bit. Sabalenka hasn't served particularly well of late, but... Sakari's coming she, on. Yeah, exactly. She's playing better. Pagula's obviously playing well. Iga just won in San Diego. There's a lot of good players. And last night on Coco, it's like, how many players in the top five can you say, like, really, like, I don't know if I'm saying that. She's not tied for fourth and quarterfinals this year. But she's not, in my opinion, she still has, like, her potential is so much higher than everybody. Like, her ceiling is just, she has so much more room to improve. Well, I feel like, honest to God, and I know this is crazy, I don't know how Iga's going to improve. I just know that she will continue to improve. It's like, again, that's another player where it's a really bad matchup for Goff because of how heavy Iga hits the ball into that forehand. And, yes, I agree with you. There's still so much ceiling for Goff, but it's just, like, perennially a bad matchup. Yeah, and is. what will no, she right. do to make that matchup better for herself? Anyways, yeah. it's it's fun. I've given you time. I filibustered. Your pick? Yeah. You're going Iga? Give me Iga. Just, just – I don't know how you – yeah. I don't know how you consistently punish her for her. Like, everything she does is so solid. Yeah, Movement, a- groundies, serve return stuff it's a very good point to make and i think she is the front runner i think odds makers indicate as much i don't know if she's a favorite against the field i'll look that up as we go but with that in mind obviously again time to figure out the men's side want to look at basel want to look at vienna before we do that the only reason we're able to day in day out here on this show is because of the support we get from you guys over at tennis point i say this every day i mean it each day i do anything you need Shoes, clothing, rackets, strings, that dirty word, pickleball equipment, you name it. (laughs) Tennis Point's got it. You can find it all in one location, tennis-point.com. With that in mind, Nate, what should people be looking for? That P word is better than the other P word you drop on this podcast. Um, (laughs) So I would say, guys, be on the lookout for our top 10 rackets of 2022. Just recorded that video on Friday. Super excited to drop that. Uh, We get together with our team of um, brand ambassadors and product specialists, uh, and Dave Linke, who is the head honcho for years. And just to get over with, with those guys on the court and discuss our opinions and kind of the stats behind all of these sticks and release our list. I think that's a pretty special time for us. It's a lot of fun for our guys to get involved with all that. I would also say we've got some, uh, monster smash sales going on with apparel on women and men's side code is boo um check that out just a lot of awesome deals there and then guys if you're looking for a demo to demo a racket i would strongly suggest if you're a power player looking for a lot of depth on your ground strokes a lot of stability um check out the wilson ultra v4 demo it out you got a ton of players using it azarenka tomlanovic korich amazing racket it's my favorite racket from wilson uh it's been my favorite like i i'm not a like i don't love the blade I don't love the pro. I think the pro staff is super stiff, but the ultra is 
it's not as stiff. It's got a little more, it's a little more forgiving. And even on off-centered shots, I feel like I can still dominate the ball. Highly suggest you guys check out that stick and it's got a beautiful colorway. Do you change tension when you go outdoors and indoors? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, lighter, heavier indoors. I'm at 60 outdoors. I'm at like 58. You string your racket at 60 still and you have a shoulder. <laughs> Dude, that's my, they give me a hard time for that all the time, but I don't know what it is. That's, I feel like I, I use that tightness because I use the Piero Plus, and I need something to control the ball to bring it down. And obviously, you control with spin when you're using the Piero, but that 60-pound uh, string job is kind of keeps the ball in play for me. So I string at 58 regardless, and I don't have a shoulder anymore. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm like starting to think, should I string things a little bit lighter? But I'm like, no, I don't generate enough racket. What string do you really use? Bring the ball. Uh, dealer's choice. Are you polyester use- or what? It depends. The thing is, we had a really nice stash. We're the least picky tennis player of all time when it comes to gear, man. It's, yeah, because it's, it's not the gear. It's the Alex. Which Alex is showing up <laughs> on the corner? Is it an Alex who can move his feet? If it is, you're in trouble. If it's not and the forehand starts to spray, I'm going to start to yell at myself. That was funny. Gil was like, you're really hard on yourself. I was like, no. I was like, I was light on myself today. I was like, are you kidding? It's because nothing is more upsetting. This is why tennis is the best sport. If you miss in the net... More often than not, you have no one or like long or wide, whatever it is. You're blaming yourself. Like, it's just like, I screwed that one up. And, you know, it's funny. You know, these are two tangents built into one. I was talking to my dad yesterday. And believe me, it's this is buried into minute 16 of Tennis Point Tuesday. I feel confident he's not going to listen to this. He did listen to an interview I did the other day. Um, and shout out to Sockip and Tennis with an Accent. It was very fun to go on the show. And he goes, Alex, you know, sometimes you tell tangents and they just relate nothing to what you're talking about. Like you just like you throw in a story and it has nothing to do with anything. I'm like, yeah, because if it's good material, like I told a story recently of how I discovered for the first time in on a list of senior moments where I'm like, oh my God, is my brain slowing down? I've had two of them in the past three months. One of them, there was a bee hovering by a light bulb in our garage. And I was like, Alex, you are a competent tennis player. You can make perfect contact with this bee with your shoe and not hit the light bulb and you'll be fine. And I destroyed the bee, but I also shattered the light bulb into six billion pieces. I made the purest of contact with the bulb and like millions of pieces. I was too ashamed to tell Westoff about it. I was like, what am I going to tell? I was like, this is, this is your dumbest moment. I was like, rank this number one. This is stupidest. Number two was I told the story on that show about how I just always use the right handle in the sink and for the, and like it's the cold water handle. And so for I'm the opposite. We've, we've lived in our house since 2011. We, my parents have had their house since 2011. Um, like three months ago, I went home and I think, honest to God, I think the right handle was obstructed by my toiletries. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to reach for the right handle. Let me just use the left. And it was warm. And I was like, holy fuck, like you idiot. I was like, you are so stupid. I was like, how do you not realize that there are two handles and one is hot and one is cold? And for 10 years, you've been shaving with cold water and you're just an idiot. Um, And so these are the moments I've gone through in the last three months. I'm worried, Nate. I'm I'm like late 20s. I'm slowing down. you gotta it's get back on. You got a crazy sleep schedule over there, man. Yeah. I, all, all this, by the way, is to say the tangent I want to win on, not to cut you off, is that you talk about the p word I use. You know, I have called my little brother for like probably six years now, and I refer <laughs> to him as that in conversations with my parents. And like sometimes they'll be like, "Don't call him that," but like other times they'll just like carry on in the conversation. Is <laughs> it like, "Oh yeah, like he's fine, he's doing well at school," and I just think it's the funniest thing in the world. And what, so yeah, I'm I'm not what, the most mature. What's the younger brother's name? Nicholas. Nicholas. I think I think we just got a tag from him on uh, on Cracked Rackets. Well, here's the thing. Nicholas obviously turns into Nicholas because like. You know, I am still an idiot. Let's be clear. And like that slowly evolved. And, you know, it's classy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's anatomically oh correct. Um, and so anyways, all that is to say, yeah, sometimes I go on tangents that are unnecessary. Do we leave it in? Was it worth it? Leave it in. I got one tangent we went on on the Pure Tennis podcast last week. I need to get your thoughts. We were saying – 
what is when you show up to the courts for a tournament or for a match what is the one like mannerism or thing that a player does before you walk on the court that like signifies this is a problem this guy's gonna have the goods what a great question that's why you got to listen to the show um that's an excellent question i so many things back in the day what's the one like what's the one where you're like there's no doubt in my mind this dude can play it depends on how he holds like how is he bringing out of the racket out of the bag it's like Mm -hmm. what is the whole operation it's what is your degree of comfort do you look like you've done this a million times and like you're just like okay it's another match i'm ready you know, how do the legs look? That's always uh, an obvious <laughs> indicator. I've mentioned it before. That's what separates good tennis players from bad players. You can see it in the legs right away. Um, what is the number one thing? That's a really good question. I mean, it's it's just it's the it's the demeanor. It's just like how comfortable are you going through all the steps? Because if you look uncomfortable or like fidgety, then you're nervous. If you don't, I'm a little nervous. Tell me I'm wrong here, though. I was remembering back to my college days playing. I remember like one of my conference matches against University of Indianapolis. I was playing like three or four singles or whatever. I remember walking on the court. I had my bag and everything, my towels. Guy walks out with four rackets in a racket tree with no bag. Just like the Riley Opelka, one racket with three rackets. Dude, I'd be off. like, I'm f- I'm just like, it's over, man. It's, <laughs> it's over. I knew right away. I was like, this dude's ready to play, man. No bag. He's got a racket tree. This is, this is tough right here. That's good. Yeah, because that takes organization. Like, you know, right away you think ankle socks versus high socks, but sometimes that's a, that's not the correct indicator. There's I mean, not a whole lot of guys balling at a high level in ankle socks, though. Here's the thing. If you're a junior and someone walks out there with a backpack and rackets in them, one and one at the worst. What? Like I'm just like I'm like, Dad, start the car. Like, you know what? We're gonna make it to McDonald's in time for breakfast. Don't worry. And I like we're actually gonna have time to go home before my next you're match. Actually, because... You're actually gonna get like four pages in the newspaper done by the time we get done. <laughs> yeah. You're good. Oh my god. You know, I'm like, you know, cause always it's Saturday morning you're playing, right? I'm like, you can go listen to the pregame. Like it's fine. Like, Misha, you wanna hear Doug Karsh with what's going on with the boys, like, cause we're gonna be home before this is over, you know, pretty quickly. Um anyways. With that said, and no disrespect to backpack wearers, once you're out of the juniors, you can do it. Like, let's be clear, because now you're carrying different things. Now you like to have water, wristbands. I mean, some people really, some people wear sunscreen, all these different things. You think like an adult. If you do it as a kid, I mean, come on. Like, I'd rather a kid just carry out the rackets than carry out a backpack. Know that that's a scarier look if that's something. I'm not saying you have to buy a bag because, you know, sometimes you can't afford a bag. And sometimes it's just not worth it economically. But carry the rackets before you bring a backpack. Racketry. Guys, if you're looking to intimidate your opponent, bring out the racketry. You're for sure taking a set just based off intimidation factor. Yeah, well said. Um, All right. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Uh, thank you for their support day in, day out. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, with that said, it's time to talk some tennis. Let's just go alphabetically. Let's start with the ATP event in Basel. We've already seen a couple of fun days of play. You look overall, top seed Carlos Alcaraz pushed to three sets in a very fun first round match with another ascending star, Jack Draper. And I did this tangent on Sunday's mini break podcast, so I'm not going to repeat it again for our listeners. I tweeted out the list as well. Perhaps you may have seen it. You could make a list of 25 guys who were born 1996 or later right now and be like, yeah, I think all of them can make second weeks at slams if they're playing their best. And if the nucleus moving forward, shout out to ninth grade biology, is 25 guys strong, 
That's a lot of ribosomes. Sorry. I had to go with the biology joke. I'm so sorry. I knew, I was like, this is going to fall so flat, but just do it. Um, uh, I'm sorry. That one was for me. Leave it in. Um, I hope one of your teachers listen to the podcast. No, honestly, it's the mitochondria because those 25 guys are the powerhouse of the cell. Powerhouse of the cell, baby. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was that guy in the class. They always called on me for the mito- mitochondria, man. That always woke me up from my nap. Powerhouse of the cell, baby. Let's go. I was locked in. Shout out to Mr. Boeing. Look, when you're a freshman in high school and you're eventually going to grow to 6'2", there's a lot of sleeping you got to do. Um, no, I. Uh, anyways, with that said, shout out Mr. Poor. Um, Three-set match. I think what was most impressive to me, particularly in the first set, is Draper took away the ad side corner for Carlos Alcaraz. And he played through the Alcaraz deuce side of the court. He made Alcaraz hit cross court or down the line forehands, which obviously against the lefty and Draper becomes a little bit more difficult to do. Um, that said, Alcaraz responds so well after dropping the first 6-3. A couple breaks of serve went down an early break. Draper hit the serve, hit the plus one forehand well. He moves forward confidently. Did all the things you have to do in indoor hardcore tennis to beat Alcaraz. I'll continue to say the depth Jack Draper generates on his backhand to complement all the things he does on the forehand and serve. That's why he's a top 25 guy moving forward. That's why when I look at him from an upside standpoint, I mean, it always comes back to Alex Diemenauer for me right now. I'm like, where do you have him ranked? Is he tier three? Like, is that the definition of tier three? Because I think Draper has to be a tier two guy. I just think he's going to be in the mix moving forward. Unbelievable down the line passing shot to fight off match point number one. And, you know, for what it's worth, uh, had two break point chances. Alcaraz, an insane inside in forehand winner on one of them, served and volleyed on the other. Alcaraz looked like a world number one at times in this three-set victory. Obviously, we haven't seen him a ton since the U.S. Open. Let's just start with this match because obviously it was a headliner early in the week. Your thoughts on how Alcaraz performed? I think he's, yeah, I think he's still trying to find his form again from his U.S. Open run. I don't feel like he's reached that level that we saw him reach in New York, but definitely you see glimpses of it. And the fact that he can win against guys playing this well when he's playing his B game or his B plus game just shows how high his ceiling really is. He just continues to compete and grind. And he has so many different answers for different problems that players present. And I think that's like his biggest, like he has the power, which we're all wowed and enamored by, but he's got so much more than that. He's got the finesse. He's got the mental. He, he just, nothing phases him or flusters him. It's like the big, like the bigger the match, the more intense things get. The level raises form every time, and I think that's, to me, the most impressive part of Carlos Alcaraz. I like how he just started problem-solving in sets two and three, started hitting his backhand down the line more frequently, and then just allowed him to be a little bit more aggressive in his positioning. And look, I don't think there's anything more dangerous in the non-Djokovic Nadal categories right now than Carlos Alcaraz on the ad side of the court. When he has a forehand, you just you never know what he's going to do. Inside out, inside in, drop shot, you're paralyzed as an opponent. And again, Draper took that away with from him, whether it was a combination of big serving or just hitting the backhand cross with depth. But Alcaraz solved it, and he found more forehands as the match went along. He started serving a little bit more precise in his spots. I thought he did a good job serving to the Draper forehand down the home stretch of the match in particular. And I mean, yeah, Alcaraz advances. And look, it's not going to get any easier. He's going to face the winner of Vanderson, Schulp, or Manorino in the round of 16. He'll potentially have a date with Carreño Busta, who will now taste the very, another very fun, talented young player in Dom Stricker, who got a good straight set win over Cressy today. Is gotta, title the expectation for you for Alcaraz this week? Expectations. Don't, don't know if that's the right word, expectation. This draw is very good. Um, yeah. You got guys that are hungry. Uh, Rublev seems to want to win right now. Every tournament he's playing in, uh, Pass is going to be right back in the mix. Real quick, though, Alcaraz is listed at 163 pounds on ATP.com. Are we buying that? Are we really buying that Alcaraz is 163? Yeah, so am I. Um, I mean, I'm looking at it, I'm like, there's no chance this guy weighs under 180. So, oh, man. Like is Demon he, well, How tall is Alcaraz? What's our official listing? Is he six one? It says six foot on here, but I I, I thought he was six one ish. No, I'd say six foot feels about right. Yeah, six foot six one ish in that range. A one eighty feels a little thick. 
Like, so I feel like, yeah, I'd say he's in the 170 range. I'd say he weighs about what I do. Like, you know, again, yeah. when he's in the bulking season, he maybe gets over 175 when it's, you know, a lot of matches under his belt. Like, in the midst of the clay court, he definitely floats 170, maybe even a hair lower. But, yeah, that feels a little light. 163, that's Demunar, Diego Schwartzman-esque. Yeah, that's a little light. You want to hear something crazy? Just Carlos Alcaraz has played 64 matches this year. What's his record? I believe I looked at this maybe a few a few weeks ago. I'm gonna say he played 64 matches. I'm gonna say 54 and 10. Very good guess. If it was the Price is Right, you'd be eliminated because you went over 53 52. and 11. 53 and 11? Yeah, you're one match off. He's won 83% of his matches. He's holding 84.1% of the time. Breaking serve, 31.1% of the time. That break percentage, second on the ATP Tour. And when you're over 30, you're elite. Uh, you look for him this season, one of six guys to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. That list, Djokovic, Nadal, Medvedev, Zverev, Fritz, and Alcaraz. Yeah, he's just been on another tier. Now, for what it's worth, it's been a really good season for Jack Draper as well, and he's in that over 70% club as well. Now, it's slowed down as he's played more ATP-level matches to end the season, but 43-16 and 16 overall, you look for Draper 16-11 and 11 on the season at the ATP Tour level. You're winning 60% of your matches as a 20-year-old at the Tour level. You belong in the ATP top 50. And I think a lot of people are going to circle Jack Draper as a dark horse at the 2023 Australian Open. I think he's one of those players. Him, Corda, are just both positions for capital B breakout seasons next year. And I think those are the two guys you circle right away as who can reach the top 15 next year. I think one of those two guys is in the mix. Who has a higher ceiling? Holger Rune, Jack Draper. <sighs> I need to see Draper play more clay court tennis before I can answer that question confidently because I know Runa's pretty good across surfaces. As good as Draper will be on the grass courts, there's just not enough on it, of it on the calendar to matter. They're both going to be in the top 25. like, And that's the thing is it's like we there might be 29 top 20-ish level players on the ATP Tour over the next five years. That's how deep this group is. It's like, who are you? How about this? End of 2023, who's ranked higher? Davidovich, Fokina, or Draper? Draper. Draper. But, that, but it's tough. And it's, it's like, tough. if that's it's those are the, the guys he's got to pass. Yeah. The court season plays such a big factor in that, and Fokina loves playing on the dirt. That's so. a big lefty, heavy forehand, moves well. Like, why won't it work on clay courts? You look for Draper this season for what it's worth. Won a match in Madrid. Got a good win over Lorenzo Sinego before going three sets with uh, Andre Rublev. You look for him overall in his career. Has only played 21 clay court matches. He's 12-9. and nine. Never made it to a quarterfinal at the challenger level, but only played four clay court challengers in his career. Yeah, we need a bigger sample size. That's what that tells me moving forward. But uh, certainly Draper going to be on a lot of people's radars moving forward, and uh, certainly he'll be on our radar. I mean, I think he has been for a while. I was very wrong about him coming into the season. I wasn't sold on his backhand. I am now, and I think he's got it um, moving forward. That said, I mentioned the 25 of the top 30 players playing in Basel this week, Alcaraz being one of them. You've also got Casper Ruud as your number two seed, Felix Ogier Aliassime coming off of back-to-back indoor hardcourt titles. How much legs does he have left in the tank? It's a fair question to ask. That said, he dropped just one set last week. Doesn't start this event until Wednesday, so 22 fine. years old. Yeah, you feel like he's probably going to be I've just- seen his TikToks of him jump roping. I think he's all right. Yeah, I agree. I think he's going to be okay as well. Uh, other players in this draw, Pablo Carreño Busta, Roberto Bautista Agu, Lorenzo Musetti, Demonauer, Runa, Kesmenovic. You've also got Davidovich, Fokina, Cressy, Van de Senschkulp, and Bublik, as well as Ramos Vinolas. It's a ton of top 40 players. Marin Cilic already knocked out of this event. Heck of a win from Arthur Rinderkinesh, the former Texas A&M All-American, earning an upset three-set victory, fought off match points, uh, ultimately 7-6 and third. He had you think Chilich looks at Rinder Kinesh and he's like, I made you. He's like, you, you, there wouldn't be a model for you on tour if I hadn't walked so you can run. And it's just like Rinder Kinesh hit the serve really well. He served in volley. Took time away from Chilich, which is just what Great you have volley. to do to him at this age. I agree. 
Tough loss for Mackey against Alex Molchan in three sets, but Mackey's played a ton of tennis of late. Uh, really nice win for Brandon Nakashima. Nakashima has just asserted himself in the top 50, and he'll be in there to end the season. Nakashima currently sitting at number 50 in the live rankings. Tricky first but, round there. Yeah, a good three-set win over a very much informed David Goffin, and you know, Nakashima just kind of lingers. That's what he does in these matches. That's what he did against Gofan. Enough first serves, continues to move forward, takes the space when it's offered. The, the big win, I was going to say, lastly, the big win, Andy Murray, 4-1 down in the third, 6-4 in the third. He advances over Safalin. For what it's worth, Andy Murray now 16-3 and in first-round matches this season, but 7-8 wow. and eight in second matches. So that's been the struggle for him. I actually asked him about that in Cincinnati, and I was like, look, obviously the opponents get harder, but why do you think that's been the case for you here this season? You know, is it physical? What is it about that? And he said part of it's physical. Certainly the level of competition is raised. Part of it's mental as well. He would just really like to make a quarterfinal. It would just be nice for him to end things on the right term, continue to get a, a shot at another big wig, and you look for him in his sec- section of the draw. That big wig would be Casper Ruud. All of that said, your thoughts on the first-round results we've seen? Yeah, I mean, you started off. I think Safflin presented a lot of problems for Murray. I was that, that was a very impressive win today for Murray. Uh, Nakashima, the same thing. I mean, how well Gofan strikes the backhand on the run and just like you think you can attack and come to the net, but you just run at your own risk when, when he's got any type of glimpse of a, a passing shot at all. Gofan has just been tough. So that was a fun matchup. Um, and then, yes, Stricker beating Cressy in straight sets caught me off guard. I definitely thought Cressy was going to make a run here. So uh, I'm just going to cut off there. I apologize. I didn't mention that one. Thank you for mentioning it. I fucking love Stricker's game. And I did this in February when he had a lot of success back-to-back runs to Challenger Finals. He loses to Nishioka, I want to say, in Columbus. He beats him in Cleveland. Stricker, just, we've watched a lot of tennis, Nate Dog. I hate doing this because it's just like, why do I feel the need constantly? Because it is a little overcompensation. I feel the need constantly to justify my tennis credentials to our listeners so that they understand why I think I know what I'm talking about. When you have watched enough tennis, you know that demeanor. Talk about full circle. Sometimes this happens, and Nate Dog, this is why I always enjoy potting with you. You asked me about when someone walks out on court, what am I looking for? And I'm looking for their demeanor, how smooth they are in everything they do, how comfortable they look in every situation. That's Dom Stricker to a T. The lefty has the weapons. He still has a young man's body. There's definitely some growing, some strengthening, some dieting, all these different things he's going to have to work into. But you cannot deny the lefty's tennis. You just cannot deny the weapons, his ability to move forward. I think it's a perfect matchup for him because he has a condensed backhand backswing, really good uh, with his coordination on the forehand. Quick returns, dipped at the feet at Cressy, get Cressy off serve with his own first strike tennis. I thought it was a great matchup for Stricker, and I'm not sure how much of him you've watched over the years, but I'm telling you, he's another guy. I didn't put him on my list of 25 because I didn't want to be ridiculous, but I really wanted to put him on my list because I really like his upside. He doesn't quite have the length of Ben Shelton, but in terms of what they both do on court and just a couple non-negotiable weapons, he has them. He looks like he's 15. Um, yeah. <laughs> he looks so young. No, Stricker, I, I have not obviously watched as much as you have. I've probably watched two or three matches of bits and pieces. I've been impressed with what I've seen. Obviously, I just did not see him knocking off a guy with the uh, heavy On artillery. an indoor hard court, especially. Yeah, on an indoor hard. I mean, that should be Cressy's um, – that should be his bread and butter. But – no, I mean, I was also shocked by Bias to even play this event. I thought he was either carried off in a wheelchair or crutches or something not too long ago, and mm-hmm. uh, two and one against Cran and Busta, he got ousted. But um, no, this this draw is a lot of fun. I think it's going to get a lot juicier as we move on here in these deeper rounds. But Demonar versus Holger Rune in round one—that's that's a joke. It's a rematch from last week. They played an yeah. incredible semifinal Unbelievable in match. Stockholm. Unbelievable match. Unbelievable match. Where... I actually thought it was better than the final. Rune was so good in the final, but Demonauer and uh, just asked every question of Runa and vice versa. The physicality on display, you know, that matches in the uh, 
family tree of Djokovic Murray 2012 Australian Open semifinals, which to me, again, greatest match of all time. Just go watch the clips. Um, yeah, it, 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 to have that as a first round matchup, brutal. On this podcast a few weeks ago, you you uh, you weren't sold on the Holger Rune on the run forehand as much as you on the backhand. But after this past week in Stockholm, everything on the run was working. I mean, he puts every ball in play, and then when he gets a chance to step on the gas pedal and put in the, and punish somebody and put it in the corner, he was stepping on it and just delivering blows. The cross court backhand from the middle of the court, the angle Holger can find. I, I was amazed how well he played in Stockholm. I couldn't believe the shots he was coming up with. I mean. He drops a racket and wins a point. Everything was going for the kid, going the kid's way. And yeah. it's just Maradoglu's in the box now. Now we got Patrick Maradoglu taking credit for the, for the young man's run, getting a second title. But, uh, no, it's crazy to see what this kid has done. He set out a, a goal to get three titles this year. He's got two of them. Yeah, no, he has been excellent. And it's you're right. It's just there's nothing on a court he can't do. And it's just figuring out what makes life a little bit easier for him. His willingness to move forward in sets two and three against Demon Hour was very impressive. There was both it was a race to get to the net and it's very hard to do against two guys who are going to track every ball down and generate depth in the corners. That said not long ago the story was his cramping and now it's like that's completely been eliminated. No, well, I wouldn't say completely. I still think it's the physicality, particularly three out of five sets, particularly yeah, late fair. in the week. It's how does he look later in the week as opposed to these two out of three indoor hard courts, which, again, in terms of a condition standpoint, that's about as ideal as things get from a tennis player. His physique has changed, though. His legs are just— No, he's strong. He's yeah. strong, for sure. I, he's, again, much like Brandon Nakashima. They may not be the tallest, but they don't lack in physicality. Um, with all of that in mind, you look at some of the other, again, top seeds. Felix going to take on the big left. Lefty Mark Andre Hussler, who won an indoor title a couple weeks ago. Felix is a minus 500 favorite in that match. That's too high. Uh, those odds should be a little bit more narrow. Rude taking on Stan Wawrinka. I think that match is today. We're recording this around 2 p.m. Eastern time. They may be on court or going to be on court later. Obviously, we'll talk about that tomorrow here on this show. Some other things that just jumped out to me quickly. Umber is a minus 150 favorite over Brooksby. That's interesting to me. Kasmanovic is a pretty comfortable favorite over Davidovich Fokina. I don't know. That match feels like a toss-up to me. Talk about two guys who are just, when I say in the mix moving forward, I'm, those are two names I think of where I'm just like, yeah, they'll be around. Like, you're going to see them third rounds, fourth rounds, everywhere. Um, all that said, any final thoughts on anything I brought up? Or, you know, with that in mind, you ready to make some predictions? Yeah, guys, uh, last note, be looking out for a Roger Federer sign record giveaway for this tournament. Ooh, I like that. I like that. That'll be a fun one. ATP Tour Tennis Point uh, collaboration. I was excited for that one. But no, this I was. I'm disappointed in the fan. I know it was Monday, but the fans' attendance was not strong yesterday. Fair. It's early. It's early. It is. It I, is. I, I always say it's early. It's early. I, I hope it gets better because that was there was more people at the Ohio State Championship this past weekend for the girls hmm. in St. X than there was at, at Basel. So we got. Let be me better. also say this: if you're Bautista Goot minus three and a half games over Laszlo Jura is minus 140. That's way too low. Something's off there. What am I not seeing uh, on that game spread? Something just to keep in mind. Demon Hour also the favorite against Runa, even though he lost to him just four days ago. Another interesting thing. With that said, give me your prediction. Who's coming through? Give me, give me Rublev. Ooh, wait. Rublev's at the other. Or, end. What did I say? So that'd be quite. I, I was reading my. I was reading my Vienna prediction. Give me Carlos. Carlos over. Out of the bottom half. I don't want to do a rematch of the U.S. Open. So give me. Uh, uh, give me. Is Holger gonna go? No. Ah, it's. I really. That's tough. Holger. Let me go. Holger. He's hot. That's interesting. I'm going to go Felix, the other side of the equation. I just think Felix is playing really well right now. The serve, the forehand are clicking, and when they do, he has non-negotiable elite weapons. No, he, I don't yeah. care who you are. We saw him beat Alcaraz on an indoor hard court at Davis Cup not that long ago. I'm going to go Felix for the three for three, and this is the message. We're 2023. Look out for Felix Ogier-Aliassime. For what it's worth, Felix right now uh, is holding on to that final spot in the year-end race. And by the way, Fritz getting a three-set win over Nishioka in Vienna. Holy cow, he is, did he need that. He escaped. Still, 
yeah, 315 points still behind Felix for that final spot in the race. But, I mean, again, a 300-point margin for Felix with this week's 500, the 1,000 level in Paris next week. It is not an insurmountable lead for Taylor Fritz or even a Hoopy Hercots who's within 500 points as well. It's really down to three players for that never seen Yoshi act up like that on the court to sl- slam the racket at the end of that match. I was he, like, had he had, he had it. He had it. He was up a break in the third. He didn't like a call on the sideline that Fritz got to break back. That was you know, with that in mind, was... let me just quickly say I'll go Felix over Demon Hour. I think this is the bounce back wow. week for the Australian. Yeah, there's a little fun. I don't want to. Yeah, I do like the Demon Hour pick because he just he's playing very well. He's got the legs to, to do it. And I, I do think that he just played Holger. He's going to figure out some some things. And the draw opened up. Chilich is a bad matchup for Demon Hour, but it's not a matchup he's going to have to face. Yep. And indoor hardcourt, I'll take him over Casper RBA. We, I think both we, those matches are fun, but I, I'll take him. I like it. I, yeah. Kasper's, I feel like Casper is like laying under the radar as the world number two. Is that weird? No, I don't think that's an unfair assessment. I think that, that yeah, he is a little under the radar, it feels like. right. It's just because he hasn't played that much since the U.S. Open, so we don't have that big of a sample size, obviously, right now uh, to turn to. With that said, we brought up Vienna and the escape job from Taylor Fritz. That, I think, was the most interesting first-round match we've had so far at our other ATP 500 event this week. Now, this draw is freaking loaded. Mm-hmm. Medvedev. Tsitsipas, Rublev, Fritz, Hercots, Nori, Sinner. Team Tommy Paul is a first-round match that I believe has just gone three sets. You've got Tiafo Hercots first round. That's really fun. You know, Hatchinov-Wolf was a really fun top 50 first-round matchup. Everything is good in this first-round event. And you look at the play we've seen unfold thus far Couple of three setters. Born a Chorich, good win over the qualifier. Quinton Halise, who used to be a former top junior in the world. Chorich, a 6 3 win over the Frenchman. Chorich, by the way, another one of those players you forget. Born 1996. But the big one was Taylor Fritz. 6 7, 7 6, 6 3 over Nishioka. I believe he fights off a match point at 5 4 30 40. Uh, 4 5 30 40, excuse me, in the second set. I mean, Nishioka just had him working. Like, did, just he, work. did, did he exploit a weakness there in, in the Fritz game a little bit? No, because Yoshi is uniquely suited. Because the problem is, if you get Fritz stretched, you better be ready to run. Because if Taylor tracks that ball down with how well he makes contact in the outer third, now you've just opened up space for him. And now he's on the run. And Nishioka just puts the ball on a dime wherever he wants it to go the forehand in I'm doing it again because I think whenever we talk about Nishioka you know I have to say this look at the flick of the wrist like it's literally the flick of the wrist and it's just like all right this ball's short angle cross court all right this ball's looping outside the alley then back in down the line I love that guy the oh my god he's just the ultimate contrast he's such a delight because he makes every match a little bit more physical and that much more exciting I don't recall seeing Fritz off balance and he was just so crabby footed like he was constantly leaning left and the ball was and Yoshi was attacking his forehand deuce court side and Yoshi hit behind him every time like it just kept working I mean the forehand yeah the forehand down the line from Yoshi was just like it's just so sneaky you really don't have a a good feel for like based on where his 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 unit turn is you really don't know if he's going to open up or if he's going to stay closed and get on the line so it's like Taylor had no idea where that ball was going. And I just, it was so many winners from Yoshi. It seemed like I, didn't, I don't know the exact count, but I mean, if it wasn't a winner, it was a weak forehand slice reply from Fritz and then a knockoff from, from Yoshi. But that was an incredible match. It really was. It, it was delightful and for Fritz to pull through, particularly to go down a break early in the third, get that break back for three all, kind of cruise from there, take advantage of a frustrated Nishioka who just kind of lost the thread in that moment. Look, Fritz needed the win to stay alive in this race to the year-end finals. And, you know, I think it's funny because Rublev just won a title, so it was a little hot take. But, like, my, one of the things I talked about with Gil a couple of weeks ago, if you asked Andre Rublev, would you trade your season for Taylor Fritz's, would he say yes? I honestly think the answer is yes because he'd give up the runs at the slams for that Indian Wells title. Wow. Um it's a really good run for Fritz, uh, a good win for Fritz, excuse me, when he wasn't playing his best, when he was a little bit passive. And so, you know, he ultimately gets through – 
I think Rusevor well, is on a warpath. Rusevor got blitzed by Tsitsipas in last week's semifinals, but looked really good bouncing back in a 2-3 and three win over Sinego. You know, good win for Dimitrov, although indoor hardcourt will never be a good surface for the lefty, Diego Montero. My last round one take, and we floated it here throughout the year, and I think it's, in, it's a December podcast probably. I think I'm out on Diego Schwartzman. I hate to say it. Not out on him as a human being. He's a delightful human. But I think on hard courts moving forward, I just am going to pick him to lose early. I mean, you look for Schwartzman, who has now lost six consecutive matches. Uh, Tiafo at the U.S. Open third round. Emer Davis Cup. Tsitsipas Laver Cup. Rinder Kanesh. Uh, Tel Aviv, Gofen, Antwerp, Rublev now in Vienna. You know, he's won just one set in those six matches. And you look for him on hard courts here this season. Diego Schwartzman, 9-12 and 12 overall. Now, it was 24-14 and 14 last season. But, you know, again, I just like you look at the dip in the numbers. The hold percentage now, 72.5%. That's 10% below the average of a top 50 player. The break percentage, 26%, which is still really good, but below where he needs it to be given the struggles on serve. Look, if you don't have a weapon... He's going to stick with you for the grind. But so many of these young guys do have the weapons now and can match up with him enough physically that I just think I'm selling Diego Schwartzman on hard courts moving forward. I feel like I saw his last good hard court win for some time against uh, Karatsev in Cincinnati. It was like that was the last time I got to see him. But even that one, Karatsev had lost like eight of nine. It's true. No, I I agree completely, though. I was actually thinking that the other day. I'm like, I mean, I feel bad. I mean – Rublev was just it was a it was a it was a target practice for, for Rublev. I mean, he was just absorbing every ball and just sending it back. And Diego was so frustrated. I was like, I need to go give my guy a hug. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. And so again, as he's getting older, watch, he's losing he's legs 30. a little bit. He's 30. He's like, losing his legs a little bit. And it's just it, and it's just like again, when I look at the space. So if I ask you next three seasons, uh, is that too much? Yeah, yeah. Well, who's ranked higher at the end of 2023? Davidovich, Fokina, or Schwartzman? Fokina. And that's the issue. It's Fokina. like that space is being taken now by for Schwartzman. By Diego has guys to go absolutely bonkers in, on the clay courts for, for him to even have a chance. Nakashima or Schwartzman? Nakashima. Wow. That's I, I'm, I'm, I'm out on Diego. Like, I just don't see it anymore. I, I hate to say it. I... Out might be too – yeah, I mean, I started the take with I'm out on Diego Schwartzman. As a top 30 guy, he, I'm out on it. It's just he, so hard to say because how can you dislike Diego Schwartzman? The effort, the creativity, the improvisation. But at a certain point, if you're constantly on the run, it's just really hard to win those matches. Like, he, he plays Tommy Paul. It's like I'm taking Tommy Paul over him now. Like, it's Yeah, just, I, I just think – I agree. If you get Diego Schwartzman versus a top 50 player and the other top 50 player is the underdog, you're like, ooh, am I going to take Schwartzman to get upset now? And that's not – I mean, again, Rublev is a top 10 quality opponent, obviously. Right. But it's just been consistent now for Schwartzman mm-hmm. over the past couple of weeks. And so 9-12 on hard courts this year, I do think that's worth mentioning. That said, you look moving forward again. Team Paul, third set match, I believe that's still going on. I think Nori got pushed to a third as well, or pushed his match to a third. I mean, you look at the quarterfinal matchup. Tsitsipas Hercots would be delightful. Fritz versus Hachinov, who made a men's U.S. Open semifinal, so he's going to take the place of the no seed in that section. Rublev Nori, Sinner Medvedev, like, sign me up. I'm in on this week in Vienna. And so with that in mind, I know we're going a little shorter on this one than we did with Basel, but... Her guys, Tiafo. We didn't talk about. I mean, that's a ridiculous first round. Sign me up after Hoopy played an electric match last week against Dominic Team in the quarterfinals. Team took it seven six in the third. Tiafo looked gassed last week in his quarterfinal loss in Stockholm. But but Francis has always been a big match player, and this match is on center court. If you are in Vienna and you're listening to this. A, hello, how are you? Thanks for listening from Vienna. Send us a message, maybe even an invitation. I'm looking for three days, you know, three days in December. You need a sneaky tall. Um, Yeah, guy with no shoulder. I'm your guy um, who doesn't understand how to ID hot water faucets properly. Um, But go to this match. It's going to be a really fun one. And so with that in mind, 
You want to give me a pick for that, or you, 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 yeah, give me a pick for that first. This is where I, yeah, give me, give me Rublev. Straight up, just to win it all. I'm taking Rublev to win it, and he'll play. uh, He'll play Steph in the final. Steph has looked good. I know he got blitzed by Runa, but he's hitting his serve, his first forehand, with such confidence and authority. Boy, a Tsitsipas Chorch round of 16 matchup, a little Cincinnati final rematch would be very, very fun. Chorch's level has dipped since then, though. Yeah, I don't think it's Fritz. I think Shapovalov's played really well down the season's home stretch, just well enough to bring me back in and be like, all right, I'll buy stock for one more year. I'm back in. You're still just 23 years old. Um Ever since he went the blackout, Yonix, he found his juice again. Yeah, and if Fritz plays like he did today, Shapovalov's going to blitz him. Um, am I going to go Shapo in the Hachinov final? looked very good against Wolf. I know. He did look good. And he's I, mean, Wolf didn't, I mean, Wolf didn't have a he – he coughed up that last service game. But other than that, Wolf played pretty well. So I'm going to go Medvedev to win the title. Um, because he needs one indoor hard courts. We'll see how healthy he is, but I'm gonna and same with center. We don't know how healthy either of those guys are right now. I'll take Medvedev, newly born father. That's always a uh, newly born, newly becoming a father. Um, so I'll take him to win the title. <sighs> Who's coming out of that bottom half? I'll go Dennis. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the dice. I'm gonna take Dennis Shapovalov. I don't don't feel great about it, but I feel good enough about it to make it public. So with that said, that's your look at this week's action. We'll try to make sense of everything happening on the ATP tour all week long. It's gonna be a fun week. And just again, your race to the tour finals: Alcaraz, Nadal, Tsitsipas, Rude, Djokovic. They're in. Medvedev, 440 points away from clinching his spot, but he's currently up by 330 points on Felix and 645 points on first man out, Taylor Fritz. So Medvedev is good. Rublev is 100 points behind Medvedev, so he's probably good as well. It's really a race for that final spot. And the three guys most in contention, Felix right now, who has a 315-point lead on Taylor Fritz and a 455-point uh, lead on Hubi Hurkacz. If Hubi wins the title this week, Felix loses his first-round match, Hubi will still be, oh, will then be, excuse me, 45 points ahead of Felix. If Fritz wins the title this week, similarly, again, he'll be ahead of Felix. So that's why they're both in play. Uh, It's really those three guys for the final uh, final spot. I guess my final question is, are we missing anyone from that year-end finals race? It does feel like Sinner, with his consistency at the slam, should at least still be alive. It's crazy that he's not. Nori... Is a li- you know again if he had Wimbledon semifinal points he would still be alive. Nick Kyrgios if he had Wimbledon finals points he would probably still be alive as well. Do you feel like we're gonna get the eight best players in the world? That's my question. Well, if Rafa pulls out, no, um, because with all due respect to Fritz, I would put Sinner in before I would put Fritz. If Rafa's not one hundred percent health, I don't know if Rafa's top eight unless he's healthy though. Like I don't want to. If Rafa's, yeah. if Rafa's healthy, for sure, but if he's... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I agree. I'm yeah. saying unless we get a healthy Rafa. That's well put. I agree. <sighs> Not having center in there and Kyrgios, that's that's tough. No center. No, I'm I'm fine without Kyrgios. I'll live. It would be nice to see him, though, at that indoor hardcore it would be gr- It would be amazing theater. A healthy Zverev probably deserves a shout-out in this conversation, yep. although does he ever deserve a shout-out is a conversation for another time. Had Berrettini been healthy all year long, he would be around, but he just wasn't healthy during the clay court season. God, it's loaded. Yeah, that eighth spot's up for grabs, for sure. It feels like that is the spot that should be open because, again, Medvedev, fine. Rublev has been so good all year long. He does belong in. Honestly, I think the final spot probably should go to Felix. Like, Felix, it feels like he's the front runner for a reason. Fair enough. All right, with all all that said then, any final thoughts on this week's action? No, I had a bunch of fun on here today, and um, no, I hope we uh, – you'll be out in California for the ITFL Nationals, correct? I will be in L.A. starting next week. I leave on Friday, my friend. What about you awesome. when you headed out to San Diego? November 1st, baby. Ooh, Come over yeah. to Mission Bay. I got the Airbnb unlocked. Let's go, baby. I think they rented me a car. They Shoo. rented me a car. I think it's for me and Kale. Um, I probably can't 
but I'll try. Um, you know, again, I'm going to do my best to be out there. And certainly we're looking forward to covering the Fall Nats on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We'll have coverage from first ball to last. That starts, I want to believe, I believe it's next Wednesday. So, of yep. course, be on the lookout for that uh, on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel and for more information coming up soon. With that said, uh, any final tennis point things we should know about as well? No, we've uh, no, we've got a new launch in, in our YouTube page, doing a lot more longer form, short form video on YouTube. So if you guys need more tennis content, we got you guys covered. Tennis Point USA on YouTube, Tennis Point on TikTok. Having fun out there. So That's check us what out. We love to hear. Well, then, with that said, a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff. Heck of a job to do day in day out makes all of our content possible of course again shout out to our friends at tennis point tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with that said for the fantastic nate walrith our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex greskin nate what do we tell our listeners that's the break and we will see you all tomorrow thank you as always my guy much love for the cr team